We turn now to God's Word. We're moving through our sermon series on the book of Galatians. Uh, so we, we'll be looking at chapter 4, verses 8 to 20 this morning. You can check that out in your pew Bible or it will be on the screen behind me. Galatians 4, verse 8. Paul's concern for the Galatians. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles. Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to all your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. It is fine to be zealous provided the purpose is good and to be so always and not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone, because I am perplexed about you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So there are many things that could be taken and taught on from this passage, but I really wanted to focus on Paul's pastoral heart and his relationship to the church here in Galatia and what what that means, you know, what it means to be a shepherd, what it means to be a sheep, how do we relate to one another as congregation and pastor, and what can we take from what Paul teaches here about how we should live in those different roles. One of the most pastoral pastors that I ever knew was Ken Kuman. He was my pastor for three years up near Seattle, and he was the pastor of this church in the 1980s, and I use those words very carefully because he was, he was pastoral. He was a shepherd. He could walk with you through anything. It was during that time that my mother-in-law was diagnosed with cancer and passed away at the age of 58, and he walked with Lily and I through that, through the whole process, and perhaps that's why we became uh, close. But I learned three things uh, from him. I learned to soak in God's Word. He had an old, beaten-up Bible that he had probably had for 35 or 40 years. And you just never saw him without that thing. He didn't need an app on his phone or some reminder to, to live his life in God's Word, to soak in it, to let him, 
to let the Bible form him. His life was very formed by the scriptures and by God's word. He taught me to never stop growing in grace. Uh, He was in his mid-60s when I knew him, and he was always starting a new group, you know, thinking these, these men should get together and study God's word and, and practice spiritual disciplines and pray for each other. He would, he would quietly, not showing off, but quietly, he would take part in fasts, long fasts, where he could focus on Christ and what he's done for him. He was, you know, he never stopped learning. He was studying, you know, the latest books about theology and, and reading And third, he taught me that you can't please all the people all the time. There were misunderstandings. There was people that didn't get him, didn't connect with him. There was people who misunderstood grace, thought he was too lackadaisical. And there was people who thought he he, uh, didn't take seriously God's truth. You know, uh, the the opposite. Uh, But for me he he showed me in part in an imperfect way in a very human way but in a very godly way what a pastor is supposed to be and the congregations that he served were blessed by that he really taught me that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care and uh, i think that is in part what god's word teaches us this morning that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Paul is showing his congregation, this congregation that he brought the gospel to, his love for them. A lot of the book has been these theological arguments, this uh, speaking to their mind. And now he is becoming emotional. He's trying to connect with their heart. He's talking about their personal relationship and the way that, he, that they cared for him. And the way that he cares for them. So I think there's four things here in just these short 12 verses that teach us about how we can relate as a shepherd and sheep. So first, Paul points out that this is a community that is known by God. Verse 9. Isn't that interesting where he writes first, Now that you know God or rather are known by God. You know, back in those days, they didn't have erasers. They didn't have whiteouts. And maybe he's correcting himself a little bit. But isn't it, it's a little bit of both. They knew God, but also God knew them. And that's the more important part. That God knows us. That God reaches out to us. So what is a church? Right away, what is a church? It's a people that are known by God that are called by God out from the world to be part of a countercultural community that seeks the common good for everyone but lives in a different way. As we said before, a different kingdom, different values. Martin Luther points out that God knows us better than we know God, right? God is mystery, God has revealed himself in Jesus, but there's so much that we don't understand. But God knows us intimately. God knows us better than we know ourselves. The psalm tells us that God knows every word that's on our tongue before we speak it. God knows all the thoughts that we have. (laughs) Even the evil thoughts. And yet God loves us and reaches out to us. Jesus has done all, all the work 
in knowing His people, in coming to us. And pastors, pastors like myself, we're just under-shepherds. Under-shepherds. That's kind of an old-fashioned word, but, but I love it because there is one shepherd. <laughs> That's the great shepherd. And pastors and elders, we're under-shepherds. Under Jesus has all the flocks. And then he calls a pastor to one flock to, to serve them. So the first thing that the text brings out is, do we, do we know that? Do we feel that? Do we experience it? That, that God knows us. That we're known by Him. That, that we're actually important to Him. Isn't that interesting? That we are important to God and His plans. That, that God knows us not in this kind of stern hard, grandfatherly sort of way. Like, I'm watching you all the time. I'm looking over your shoulder. I know what you're doing. No. God knows us like the greatest parent we could ever imagine. The greatest father that we could ever know who only wants what is best for us. And he knows that that's, that's himself. That he made us for himself. So the best, the best way to know God, like Paul is saying, is to have that as our starting point. To say, you know what? He knows me already. God knows me. And he loves me. We are known by God. That's what it means to be part of a church. And then second, Paul talks in verses 13 and 14 about the sickness that he experienced. He said, as you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. So he was probably traveling through. He was probably intending to go somewhere else. And he got stuck. He got stuck in southern Galatia because of this illness. Uh, A lot of scholars think it was, you know, an eye condition or some sort of eye infection. And when your eyes don't work, it's kind of hard to travel in that time. He continues on, even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. There was this mutual care that when he was sick, and think about how scary it would have been to be sick 2,000 years ago (laughs) with a so, you know, hardly anything known about how to cure it, hardly anything known about how to treat an illness like that, but they, they nursed him back to health. They took care of him. And isn't that the second sign of what a pastor and a church should be? That there's mutual care. That they watch out for each other. That they take care of each other. Of course, uh, A pastor cares for you when you're going through difficult times. Uh, But is the favor returned? Paul's saying it was in that case. Is there mutual care? I I heard about a church. The the pastor's daughter, she was 13 years old, and she was in an accident, and she passed away. And for the next year, he was in tears in the pulpit nearly every week. 
It was hard for him to get through a sermon. It was hard for him to preach about God's goodness when his daughter was gone. But instead of, let's give him some time off. Let's help connect him to a counselor. It was more, it was comparison. It was, well, you know, when so-and-so's daughter died, they were at the basketball game the next night. When so-and-so's daughter died, they never had to take time off. It was all that kind of stuff. And that church looked from the outside like it was large, like it was healthy. The pews were packed every Sunday. There was 400 people there. But that church was not healthy. And over the 20 years since that's happened, the church has shrunk. No one wanted to be part of that unhealthy community. And it's down to 50 people now. And they're hanging on by a thread. Because there wasn't that mutual care Let me tell you about Park Lane, though. From the minute that we got here, actually before we got here, there was food in our pantry. There was was gifts. There was a baby shower for our second child. Who does that? That's amazing. You threw us a baby shower for our second baby. The council walks alongside Lily and I to make sure that we are cared for spiritually emotionally, physically, whatever it is. We are blessed. And in, you know, 40 years of being part of a church, I've never been part of a church like this, where there is that mutual care. There's this feeling that, yeah, you're part of a family. You're one of us. And you know what? It takes about five minutes to be welcomed into that. This family, yet it's, a, it's an expanding family. It's a family with open arms. And there's mutual care and respect between sheep and shepherds, pastor and congregation. There's so much about American Christianity that, uh, that it's lacking in this area. You know, we kind of put on a pedestal these, these pastors of massive, massive churches. And they, uh, they, you know, we think of them as our role models, And yet that's really different than what Paul's talking about here. (laughs) You know, where he was had to be nursed back to health. He's saying, don't don't put any pastor on a pedestal. You know, not me, not anyone else. Worship Jesus. Worship him alone. One of my friends who's a pastor. We were talking about how, you know, a lot of people love podcasts and listening to their favorite pastor that might live a thousand miles away and everything. And that's, that's great as a supplement to church, I think. But my friend just said, you can't hug a podcast. I love that. You can't hug a podcast. I mean, you can, you can maybe, you can try to hug your phone, but it's not, it's not gonna, you know, it's not that great. We need... We need that, you know, that physical connection. We need a hug. We need a handshake. We need somebody to hold hands and pray with. We need somebody that's there in the room with us. We care for them. They care for us. That's the second thing that's part of being part of a, a church, a local body. Third, Paul says this. You know, after, after recounting that and, and talking about his illness, he challenges them. In this very emotional, pastoral way. He knows them. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Wow. A lot of us have maybe felt that way before. 
You know, Paul's saying that, that a pastor has to tell the truth, even when it's painful. That parents have to do that. That teachers have to do that. That counselors have to do that. That anyone that wants to mentor someone, we have to speak the truth in love, even when it's difficult. And so, when a pastor or a teacher or a parent is telling you the truth, is saying something that's difficult to hear, I challenge you to do your best to listen, to do your best to consider what they have, to take it in. Especially if they've, if they've proven themselves to you. You know, my dad was part of Young Life for a long time as an as a area director and everything. He got, he got saved in Young Life. And they have a saying that you have to earn the right to be heard. But a lot of times, people do earn the right to be heard. They spend time, they build those relationships, and yet we still find it difficult to take in what they're saying, to, to bring in that wisdom. My Monday evening Bible study, we're studying Proverbs, and there's a proverb that speaks to this. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Sometimes our friends wound us, because sometimes the truth hurts, but it's what we needed to hear. And this week, I have to say that I was wounded by a parishioner and I had to say that I was sorry and I wounded a parishioner, maybe more than one. Man, that was an interesting week. But maybe it's a good week in a way because if we're not part of these relationships where we're challenging each other on a regular basis, we don't grow. Rick Warren has this quote. He says, Our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear them or hate them. The second is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. Those are two lies of the the cultural moment that we're in right now. So Paul is asking us to consider, you know, consider that I or your parent, or your teacher, or your mentor, or whoever it might be, might be telling you the truth, might have your relationship with God and your thriving in mind, that we might want that for you, even when it's difficult to hear. So don't make someone your enemy just because they're speaking hard truths into your life. Paul continues... In verse 19, he says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone. Paul is saying that to be a pastor sometimes feels like having a baby. Now, I don't know if he could get away with this today because everyone would say, you're a man. How do you know what it's like to have a baby? But it's a powerful metaphor, right? And anyone that's delivered a child or even been in a delivery room knows what a metaphor, what an example that, 
You want, you want this baby to be brought forth. And, you know, Jesus spoke about this way too, being born again. Being born again, we rush past that. But sometimes having Christ formed in you is, is like that. That is all that a good pastor wants. He wants Christ to be formed in his people. He wants them to be centered on Jesus. He wants them to grow and be sanctified. Sanctified. This word that means you just simply become more and more like Jesus. You have his boldness. You have his humility. You have his grace. You have his truth. You have his healing. Become more and more like Jesus. And that's not an easy process. Just like having a child. It's not an easy process. It's messy. It's messy. We have a messy church, and now we're going to have a messy church service. It's one step forward. That's a Diane Osborne quote, by the way. I didn't make that up. It's one step forward and two steps back. It's walking with people through all the ups and downs. Through everything. (laughs) Through the broken relationships. Through the cancer through the job loss, through all these things that God allows us to go through that can actually make us more like Jesus. Christ is formed in you. Christ is formed in you. A few of us went to hear Jamie Smith from Calvin College this week, and one of the things that he said that was so amazing, he was talking about Augustine, And he talked about how for Augustine, Augustine wasn't up here preaching with his people. Augustine was down here with his congregation. And wow, you get to look at that cross. You get to look at two crosses this morning. But Augustine was down here, and he was considering amongst his people, who is Jesus? Who was the one that died for us? What is it like to live our lives in that reality? What's it like to have Christ formed in us? And what a powerful witness that was. You know, 1,600 years later, we're still talking about Augustine. He was amongst his people, and he was saying, let's all be formed like Christ together. Let's be more like Jesus together. Paul longs for them to come back to the gospel, to stop living for the law, to stop living according to these old customs, to think that there are two groups of Christians, one closer to God than the other, to think that the men would have to be circumcised, to think that that they'd have to follow these um, Jewish celebrations, these calendars. He longs for them to stop trusting in their own righteousness and come back to the gospel. And he's emotional here. It's a head and a heart thing together. And what is that? What is that gospel Paul talks about, in verse 9, the weak and miserable principles that they used to live by. The gospel is everything that's against that, against those weak and miserable principles. One of the weak and miserable principles that we have to wrestle with today is that we have to earn it. 
that we have to earn God's love, that we have to earn our salvation, just as they did it in those days by the calendars and being circumcised and all those sorts of things. There's pressure on us to earn it, to earn God's love. Who remembers that movie? I can't believe it's been 21 years now since it came out, but Saving Private Ryan came out in 1998 and won all these awards. And if if you don't remember, you didn't see it, the last Ryan brother, three of the brothers have been killed. And so the fourth one is uh, to be brought back off of the battlefield in World War II. But the ones that are sent to him to bring him back, they're killed. And in their, in their dying moments, one of the soldiers says to Private Ryan, earn it. Earn it. You know, basically, your life better be worth it because we lost our lives for you. Earn it. And the, as the movie goes through, it shows him near the end of his life, he's an old man now, 50, 60 years later, and he's still wrestling with that. He says to his wife, tell me I've lived a good life. Tell me I've earned it. He never got away from that. He lived his whole life trying to earn it, trying to earn the death of these men. And the problem with that is that no word from a human being, no earthly word, even a word from our husband or our wife or our best friend, the people that know us the best, yeah, you're a good person. You tried your hardest. It's not enough. It's not enough. It'll never fill the void in our hearts. What we're looking for. And God comes along and says, you know what? You fell short. You didn't earn it. But I earned it for you. I lived the perfect life that you could never live. And I went up on that cross and I died in your place. And no weak or miserable principle can compare with that. The free gift of grace in the gospel. Receive it today. Live in the freedom of the gospel today. Walk in that love and in that truth that Jesus lays out for all of us. If we base our lives on that gospel... Sheep, shepherd, it doesn't matter. We live for God's glory alone. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your incredible grace. Save us from our weak and miserable principles. Save us from trying to earn our salvation. Save us from all the stress and drama and troubles that we find in relationships in the church. Lord, we want this church, these people, we want to glorify you by what we do. We want to live our lives according to what you've called us to do. Help us to live that out. Help us to be your people. Help us to care 
for one another. Help us to look to You, Jesus, as not only our model or our example, but primarily as our Savior, as our Redeemer, as the One who's rescued us and called us to be part of this community. Lord, may the Gospel transform us and change us and make us thankful for everything that You've done. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.